um, we have been like in a little mini-series um, called Flexing. And so e each week we've done a different graphic for the flexing. Um, for we did a real buff woman the first week and then a real buff dude the next week. And then we've got a, a real buff youngin' this week. Mm. And we've talked about flexing different spiritual muscles. Um, we've talked about challenging ourselves to do different um, spiritual disciplines, to practice different spiritual practices. So I just, I, I want to ask real quick, is there um, anybody that just over the last few weeks, you've done exactly this, you have, um, you flexed a spiritual muscle, you've, you've challenged yourself and tried something, a new spiritual discipline, and you've just found a lot of joy and success in it. A anybody want to take a, like a brief minute, um, like just a brief second, anybody want to share? Yeah, I've done it, and it's been really cool. Here's the results of it. Is there anybody? Okay, now when I say brief, I will yank this sucker out. Did you start preaching? All right, so um, I tried praying on my knees with the journal in front of me and reading out of the Bible at that point, and I got so much out of it, more about focusing on God and not on me. And uh, just it, and, it, and it helped me to lift him up a lot higher and let me worship a lot lower. That is awesome. Wonderful, Jen. Anyone else? All right. Well, I'm glad we had one. Um, I, I want to continue to challenge us in this. Um, it, it's It's good. To, to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to worship you in a, in a new way, in a different way. So um, if we can turn in our Bibles or your Bible apps to Mark chapter 8, that's where we were last week, and that's where we're going to be again this week. Um, we, we saw, we read last week, we read through the whole chapter twice, and we see Jesus for the second time working the miracle of feeding thousands with practically nothing, with the multiplying of, of bread and fish to feed the crowd that had been there for three days, hungry for Jesus, but ill-equipped, not, not bringing enough food for, for that revival service that was taking place. Um, and we see in the midst of this that the disciples, there's a need that arises uh, within them to see the Lord more clearly, to believe in the faithfulness and the bigness of God every time, not just every now and then. The next miracle we see in Mark chapter 8 is related to the disciples' slowness to see. And I love, I love this, this, the story of this two-part miracle. So I want to read from Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to read uh, verse 22 through 26. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And, and if I can pause there real quick, um, just prior to this, Hawk and I were talking about this last week. And he pointed something out. He's like, isn't it interesting that Jesus just got done 
um, correcting the Pharisees who were looking for a sign and, and their, their heart and their intentions were wrong. And he said it's, it's, a, it's a wicked generation that, uh, or, or nation or tribe that, that searches for a sign and they're not going to see it. And he was talking specifically to those religious leaders who are trying to trap Jesus, looking for a way to arrest him and get him to, to contradict their laws. Um, and he said, they're not going to see a sign. And here we see Jesus taking this blind man away from the masses because what he wants to do in this man's life, he wants to do in a secluded setting. What he wants to do in this man's life, he wants to do for our benefit as well. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? Interesting question. Love that. And he looked up and said, I I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. He sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village he said, go straight home. Th- this, this touch was for you, not to amuse the masses. This, go straight home. Uh, I, when we look at this, I think there's a couple different reasons why the Lord pulled this man aside. I think that this miracle is for our benefit as much as it is for the man who received his sight. I think that all of it was completely intentional. None of it took Jesus by surprise. He didn't lose any power. I'd say that much. He didn't lose any power. He didn't lose his touch. He knew this was going to be a two-part miracle, and he had something to teach us in the midst of this two-part miracle. But he didn't want the crowds being cynics and saying, oh, Jesus has lost his touch. Oh, Jesus prayed for him, didn't get healed, only got partially healed, uh, poorly healed. He's losing his touch. He's losing his power. Jesus didn't want that. It is absolutely unprecedented to this point to have a miracle that takes place in two stages. We've never seen this in Scripture before. This miracle is deliberate. This miracle is deliberate in wanting to give the disciples and also us a picture of themselves, a picture of ourselves. And that's this, that sometimes we have a slowness to see the greatness of Jesus. Just like the the partial healing and then the complete healing of this blind man, sometimes we see in part. We we see with confusion. We see with uncertainty. We see with a haze. Um, In digging through this scripture, you know, there's certain things that stood out to me. Um, we don't know much about this man. We don't know if he was born blind, if he's, if he's ever seen before, and we don't know if he became blind. His description was, I, I, see, I see what looks like people, like tree people, like people like trees walking around. You know, it's a very odd description, right? There's no spiritual basis for this. If, if he was born blind, we know that 
through the sense of feeling that he he felt to know what people look like, right? As as blind people do. You know, he can feel his shoulders and arms and that's the face, that's the head. So there's this this image that was in his head. Same thing with a tree. Oh, there's the tree. Oh, and but if he had his sight before, then he knew what men looked like. He knew what people look like and what trees look like. I find that interesting that sometimes as we're trying to see, we see with remembrance. Sometimes we see with feeling, much like this blind man. When it comes to remembering the things of Jesus and the works of Jesus, sometimes we see with our feelings and sometimes we see with our remembrance. And many times we see in a way that is flawed and cloudy and not clear because we are so quick to forget the goodness of God. We are so quick to, to have the memory of how he came through for us and how he strengthened us and how he sustained us. And that memory after time, it fades. For crying out loud, I don't know when Jesus fed the 5,000, but here he just fed 4,000. It's a separate miracle. Jesus is asking them questions later on going, you're, 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 you're talking about bread. This is his disciples. He's like, you're talking about bread. But don't you remember what I did in feeding the 5,000 and, and how many baskets of leftovers we collected? And, and now the 4,000. By the way, how many baskets of leftover um, uh, bread and fish were there? And he's, he's asking them, don't you even remember that miracle? And isn't your expectation set to a place of believing me for the next miracle? This book's author, which is Mark, also known as John Mark, uh, under the leading and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he uses an interesting word for eyes in verse 23. And then he, he, he uses eyes again in verse 25. If you look at it, in our English translation, it says eyes and eyes, but he uses two different sets of words. And the word that he chooses to use in verse 23, it's only used twice in all the Bible because it's not the common word for eyes, okay? He uses the word aman, which means sight, but it means both spiritual sight and physical sight. A lot of times our physical sight might be really clear, at least, you know, with, with our aids, our glasses, or whatever we, you know, they're clear. But our spiritual sight, not so much sometimes. In verse 23, this is where we see that used. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, when he had placed saliva on his sight, on his sight, and laid his hands on him, he said, do you see anything? He says, what do you see? What, anything? Verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on the eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus is using this miracle as an analogy for the way that his disciples saw him, 
at, the, at that time with, with partial clarity, but still not to the place of full faith. It, it, this is going to be a reoccurring theme, me, me kind of posing this question to us. Are we any different? Do we see the Lord with partial clarity? Or do we see him with the fullness of faith and expectation? The disciples, like the half-healed blind man, they could see the Lord with blurry, distorted vision. They understood him, kind of, a little bit. Like the blind man, they would need another touch of grace in order to see Jesus clearly. For the disciples, they never saw Jesus clearly until they saw the empty tomb. Do you realize that? The Son of God isn't killed by, by mere men. Even up to the points where their, their expectations of who Jesus was and what he was going to do and the ways that he was going to deliver them from, from the oppression of the Roman Empire, they had this expectation of this undefeatable warrior champion who could never be killed, and Jesus was killed. I guarantee at that point, and, and we just see it throughout Scripture, they were disheartened, they ran, they were disillusioned. The way they saw God's plan was cloudy at best. It wasn't until they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ that they had clarity of who Jesus was. Friends, Jesus is alive. He is resurrected. He is with us now, but yet so often we see him Faintly, with a filter of doubt, with a filter of fear, with a filter of disobedience or rebellion or whatever. How much are we like the blind man in this story? How much are we like the first disciples of Jesus? A second touch. The blind man required a second touch. The disciples required a second touch. We require nothing less, a second touch. It's, it's not a one and done. It's a continuous going to the Lord to receive healing and health and faith and strength and clarity and vision. Jesus just got done telling them, if you go back and read a little earlier in Mark chapter 8, he's like, you've got eyes, but do you see? You've got ears, but do you hear? Twice he says, do you not understand? He, he, he challenges everything. He challenges their eyes, their ears, their hearts. He said, has your heart become hardened? And, and he challenges their understanding. And the answer to all of them was, no, you don't see, no, you don't hear. No, you don't understand, and yes, your hearts have become hardened. You guys, it's so important that we go to the Lord. I'm not saying any of y'all are lazy. But man, we live, in, we live in a society of comfort. We live in a society of conveniences. Now more than ever. 
If I want Chipotle, I don't even have to go to Chipotle anymore. I can be like, uh, Chipotle, and then uh, DoorDash, bring it to my door. If I want toilet paper, I don't even have to go to the store anymore. I think DoorDash or those type of services can bring me toilet paper. And if you have Chipotle, you need toilet paper later. It's just, they, you know, I'm just, come on. You've all had Chipotle. Jesus wants us to come to him. Jesus wants us to go to him. I love that in Scripture it says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And you know what? If we say, Jesus, go away, I don't think he goes far, but he's like, okay. I think he takes a step back because he's not going to sit there and beat down the door. He's not going to kick down the door to get to us. He's like, you have to open the door to me. You have to invite me in. You, if you seek me, you will find me. Then he said, everyone who seeks me finds me. But we've got to seek him. A second touch. Have we had a second touch? Are we in need of a second touch? This, this is a good time in the message for a little bit of self-examination. Are you in need for a second touch from the Lord? It's wonderful to know that Jesus is merciful. I think it seems, yeah, yeah, merciful. It's great to know that Jesus is forgiving. I, yeah, it's a little blurry, but yeah, he's forgiving. That's what we do sometimes. We forget just how merciful he is. We make it about us. Yeah, but I screwed up again. At some point, he's going to lose faith for me or grace for me or mercy for me. And that, that is bull. His mercy never runs out. His grace never runs out. His love never runs out. We, we get weary and faint, but he doesn't. He is always there. Go back to him again for a second touch so we can see with clear eyes. He is faithful even when I'm not. He is faithful especially when I'm not. Jesus is risen. That's when the disciples had their, their aha moment. That's when they were fully convinced. But honestly... Who wouldn't be at that point? That takes no faith. That takes no faith at that point to believe in the risen Jesus after you saw him, him tortured and beaten, after being arrested and nailed to a cross and murdered. You saw him die. We saw him, a, a dead body on the ground, off the cross, moved to a tomb. When he comes out of that tomb on the third day, risen, and then for 40 days, he's walking with them and eating with them and, and encouraging them and continues to teach them. At that point, you don't got to have faith. It's there. At that point, there better be some repentance. At that point, there better be some grabbing hold of truth saying you are who you said you were the whole time. Let's read from verse 
34. And before we do, I'm going to pose this question. When will we truly believe? When will we truly deny and abandon all and follow Jesus anywhere? Jesus, I'll, I'll follow you into this neighborhood, but not that neighborhood. Jesus, I'll follow you, follow you into this uh, setting, but not this setting. He's calling us to follow him anywhere. Verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. As we're reading this, just keep in mind the, the imagery of the cross. He hadn't, he hadn't died on it yet. It, it'll, it'll take on a whole lot more meaning after his death and resurrection. I want to read that, those, those two passages, the verses again in the Passion Translation. Verse 34, Jesus had his disciples and the crowd gather around him, and he said to them, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. What does follow mean? Jesus just gave us the definition. Following is a willingness to share the cross of Jesus Christ, experiencing it as our own, and continually surrendering to his ways. It's continuous. A continuous surrendering, a continuous yielding, a continuous act of faith and trust and obedience. Verse 35, for if you let your life go for my sake and the sake of the gospel. See, for, for, for his sake, letting our life go, that's salvation. Letting our life go for the sake of the gospel, that's mission. They're not, salvation isn't letting your life go for the sake of, of the gospel. That's the mission we have once we are saved and we've given our lives to him. For if you let your life go for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will continually experience true life. But if you choose to keep your life for yourself, you will forfeit what you try to keep. All too often we get this half right. We get it half right. We, we say, Lord, I take off my crown before you. Lord, and I lay it at your feet. Lord, I take my scepter. I take the ability to rule and to reign, and I lay it down at your feet. That's, that's half right. Too often we have a short-term response, a temporary response to what God's doing in our life. Maybe we have a response on a Sunday morning. But by Monday, when the heaviness of the world and the temptations of life come our way, 
our grand declaration phase. To follow Jesus is more than just the dethroning of ourselves in our life. Following Jesus is also the enthroning of Christ in our life. It's not enough that we step off the throne of our lives. It's not enough that we take our crown and set it at his feet. That is not enough. We have to then enthrone Christ in our lives. We have to say, here's the crown. Here's the scepter. You reign. You rule. I need you to be king of my life, and I make you king of my life. A throne demands a ruler. The throne of your heart is never unoccupied. Someone's sitting there. It's never unoccupied. It's never empty. Either we're going to sit on it, or we're going to let Jesus sit on it. But it's never empty. There's times we may think that we've vacated the throne and, and dethroned ourselves from ruling and reigning. But I'm telling you right now, if we have not placed Jesus on the throne of our lives, then he is not your sovereign. He is not your supreme ruler. If you haven't made him king, then you haven't made him king. And if he's not ruling, guess who is? You. You. You're the boss. He stands at the door and knocks. But he, he's not going to usurp our will. And he's not going to have a a rebellion to take over the throne of our heart. He's waiting. If he's not reigning in our lives, guess who is? Your Highness. Your Majesty. That was a curtsy. I think you have to that's it. Okay. So how do we know if we've completely, completely, completely vacated the throne of our lives and completely enthroned King Jesus in the seat of power? Um, could I have uh, a musician come up, please? Question number one to find out. Are you still running in circles? Are you still running in circles? Are you still repeating the same patterns of your life? Are you taking another lap around the desert? Do you find yourself in the same rut, doing the same things, making the same circles? And here's why I say that you can know that Jesus isn't truly, truly on the throne at that point, because he does not lead us in circles. He sits back and watches and says, look, that's what rebellion, that's the result of rebellion. Trust in me, and I'll take you into promise. Trust in yourselves and rebel against me. You get to be the boss. And in that case, you're going to just keep making the same, the same mistakes and doing a pretty poor job of it. I don't want to be in control. 
I mean, I want to be in control. We all want to be in control, right? We're control freaks. We all want to be in control. But if we want to be truly blessed and satisfied and day after day live a fulfilled life, then we've got to let him be the one in control. We've got to relinquish control. Second way, are you carrying the cross of Jesus Christ as your very own? And are you continuously surrendering to his ways? so? How do I know? I, I, I think I am. Well, let me ask. Do you refuse to forgive others? Do, do you refuse to forgive yourself? Do you refuse to believe that God loves you? Do, do you refuse to believe that God is good and that he has good for you? Do you refuse to give up sinful acts and patterns See, refusal is the opposite of humility. It's the opposite of bowing before the Lord and saying, Lord, I give you my all. Refusal is saying, no, I'm still calling the shots, and I refuse. I'm still the boss. I'm still sitting on the throne, and I refuse to do that. And Jesus isn't going to throw you off the throne if that's the case. We have to humble ourselves and vacate of our own free will. Refusing to follow means you're not following. I mean, it's not rocket science, right? Refusing to follow means you're not following. And, and this message is about following him wholeheartedly. Not, not halfway, not with, with blurry vision, but with clarity. And the third way, are you keeping your life or yourself. And this passage says that Jesus says if that's what you're doing, you'll forfeit it. Whatever you try and keep for yourself, you'll forfeit joy. Whatever you try and keep for yourself, you're going to forfeit peace. Here's an example. If we choose to keep unforgiveness for ourselves, we forfeit peace. If we choose, I'm, I, I'm not going to forgive that person. We, we forfeit something, guys. We can't have both peace and unforgiveness occupying the same place. Jesus just kindly took the blind man away from the crowd. And touched him, knowing that it wasn't going to be a complete healing said, do you see anything? What do you see? For our sake. So that we could hold a mirror up to our lives and say, what do we see? Do you see me in that reflection of you? Because I want you to see me. I want you to see when we look at that mirror, I don't want you to just see yourself. That's not the purpose of this self-reflection. I want you to see me. I want you to see the person that I love, the person that I adore, the person that I have grace for, says the Lord. The person that I gave my life for, says the Lord. I want you to see mercy and faithfulness and endurance. I want you to see hope and a future and promise. How are we going to respond to this message? Because we, we all 
It's when we're encountering Jesus, it requires a response. And and it's all going to be unique. There's not a cookie-cutter response to this. We're We're not cookies. We're people and we're complex. And we're multifaceted. But our God is more wonderfully multifaceted. And at every turn, at every facet, at every reflection of light, you're going to see his goodness and glory and faithfulness. Even if it's in the midst of candor. Man, Jesus was candid in this passage of scripture. Man, he was direct. Like he busted some chops a little. Like he was, he asked a bunch of questions and didn't wait for responses. He was trying to challenge these guys. He's trying to challenge us. So if we can just close our eyes for, actually let's stand up. I'm done, but let's let's stand up and let's close our eyes for a second and let's just focus on the Lord. And let me just ask you, are you following? Do you see him clearly? Or are you in need of of a second touch from the Lord? A second miraculous touch so that you are no longer blind, but just so that you see. Have you vacated the throne of your life and said, Jesus, be seated. Please be seated. Come in and reign and rule. Just answer those to yourself, to the Lord. Would you answer those questions? If the Holy Spirit is bringing any areas of compromise or sin or disobedience or selfishness to our lives, he's he's doing so because he wants us to lay it at the feet of Jesus and then to back away. To give it to him, to repent, to release. So if the Holy Spirit is doing that in your life right now, just right there where you are, just just respond with, with repentance, respond with release. Holy Spirit, um, we need you. We need you. We need you. And we thrive when you have the room. And from the time that before we even came in, we've given you the room. We've given you this place. And so we're asking you to do what you want to do. If it's to teach us, then we're listening. If it's to correct us, then we're responding. And, And we're recognizing truth and repenting. Jesus, as an act of faith, I just declare that we we will follow you. Where you go, we will follow. Where you go, we will follow. There's no other way. There's no other truth. What you tell us to, 
to turn from, we will turn from. And we won't wait until we've gotten our affairs in order or until we've said our goodbyes. We purpose right now to follow you. If there's anybody in this place today or anyone who's watching online that doesn't know Jesus, I just want to give you that opportunity. If in your heart right now, no one could talk you out of trusting your life in Christ, then now's the time to do it. Now's the time to respond. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I, I turn from my sins, and I turn to your, to your love and your power. If there's anybody in the place who's never done that, and you right now are making this decision to follow Christ, would you just raise your hand and lock eyes with me? So is there anyone in this, in this building that, that's making that decision right now? If there's anybody who's made that decision, who's watching us online, we don't want you to keep that to yourself. You've got to share that. You've got to share it a lot. And we're asking to, to send us an email right now contact at impactrock.com and say, I gave my life to Jesus. We'll send you a Bible. We'll call you, leave your number. Someone on our pastoral team will call you and pray with you and we'll talk about what it looks like to walk together um, following Jesus together. Uh, we can open our eyes. Church, uh, I love you. And, and God loves you. He's given his all. And so even as we have kind of heard and received this word today, let's stay open to just the, the, the whispers or the shouts of the Holy Spirit in our lives um, with ways that he's asking us to follow him and trust him. I'll leave us with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day. Um, Sarah, we will, we will miss you as you're in Tennessee, and we'll be praying. And uh, yeah, let's just continue lifting up the, the Herman family in this transition. God bless you guys. Have a great day.